I am meeting my guest for the first time today, but after reading lots of interviews with her and listening to lots of her music in preparation for today, I have decided that whether she likes it or not, we are going to be best friends forever. And my new best friend is singer-songwriter Galia Arad, who describes her music and herself in her Twitter bio as Bob Dylan meets Britney Spears. And that's close, but no cigar. See, I would say that... It's more like Bob Dylan meets Britney Spears meets Amy Poehler. Because, Galia, you're not only a great singer and a songwriter, you're also really feckin' funny. And Bob Dylan and Britney Spears, neither of them are really known for their sense of humour. Now, I did consider a few other options, you know, Kristen Wiig or something, but I went with Amy Poehler because, of course, Parks and Recreation is one of the shows that has gotten me through lockdown. And, of course, it stars Amy and is set in the great state of Indiana, where Galia is from. So, she's born and bred in the US Midwest, but she's not as white bred as that sounds, um, given that both her parents emigrated to the US, one from Europe, one from the Middle East. She's a classically trained musician, before deciding that she ain't that classy. Uh, she's toured the world with Jules Holland, but she's been living here in Dublin for the past decade. And when taxi men ask her what brought her here, she tells them it was a man, and then embellishes that lie and says it was Glenn Hansard just to amuse herself. It'd actually be slightly more truthful to say that it was the Pogue's Shane McGowan that brought her here, but that is also not exactly true, but we'll probably get to that later. Have I mentioned that she's also a funny liar? But what is true is that she's a singer, a songwriter, a fellow podcaster, and in a previous life was a professional dog walker in New York. See, I told you we're going to be besties. Um, her latest release, Lion's Den, is a kind of heartbreak ballad, which is getting a lot of radio play. Um, but she is also loved and known for her darkly funny, often political and upbeat songs, which she records and performs with her very fun, by which I mean very gay, backing singers, the Lollipops, whom I feel are also now on my best friend's hit list for the next time I'm in New York. If I ever get to go outside my five fucking kilometres ever again. And before we get into this chat, Galia, I think it might help any listeners who haven't had the good fortune to trip over you before to get a sense of you in action with the aforementioned homosexual lollipops. So this is a short clip of What a Time, a song not only about life in the time of COVID, but also recorded in the time of COVID while you and the lollipops were physically apart, but together in Zoom spirit. From six feet, two kilometres, throw me the thermometer, Siri, is this number of fever I'm naked quarantined in the basement doing my own meditation breathing and cleaning supplies sanitize till you cry what a time to stay alive so Galia I feel like you'd absolutely be gas cracked to live with during lockdown and even gas or crack to go roller skating with after lockdown um and like watching your videos you know, on youtube and that of your live shows and that um like the bits in between the songs are as entertaining and funny you know as any of the songs are um have you always been a gas bitch <laughs> well, let me just clarify that I would not be gas crack at all during lockdown. Um, I'm a real nervous Nelly, 
and just filled with rage sometimes. <laughs> so really, I'm not that fun during lockdown. But I love the expression. Did you just say gas bitch? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of Bob Dylan meets Britney Spears, I'm just going to say gas bitch. But, but, you, but I mean... You play up on it. I mean, you're almost like doing a stand-up routine sometimes between the songs in there. Um, I think I get more comfortable talking more than singing. You mm. know, I'm more comfortable connecting with people than I am like, ta-da, like here, yeah, I'm going to yeah. sing for you. And so I think at gigs and stuff, that's how I, like I have really bad stage fright. And so um, one way that I calm down is to connect with the audience first. And mm. we can all connect through laughter at yeah. least you know i was joking earlier on when i was you know saying bob dylan means britney spears means amy poehler but when i was thinking who would be the third um i and my first thought was dolly parton of course who's my you know, oh big, my huge her, because she really uses humor as well she does she's wonderful and like you she's a country bumpkin <laughs> <laughs> oh good well that so let's go, go back a bit so you are from bloomington indiana yep which in my head of course is now Exactly the same as Pawnee, Indiana. Even it's though it's not, it's <laughs> not <laughs> Pawnee. Oh my god! Um, but your parents are totally not that. So your mother is French Belgian, is that yes, right? Yeah, Belgian. Mm-hmm. And your father is from Israel. Yes. And they both immigrated to the U.S. Yep. And they were classical musicians. Is yep. That? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're growing up in white bread, Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana, did that your parents, your name, and all that? Did that make you like an, an exotic um, girl in class um, or or an outsider or what? Well, we had moved there when I was um, like seven or something, seven or eight. And it is not Pawnee. No. <laughs> I don't know where well, Pawnee is. It's, it's a blue bubble in a red state, it right? Is, it and is. And I, I imagine Pawnee probably votes Republican. I also think Bloomington actually had our ratio. We had like the highest ratio of gay people in the country like other than san francisco so it wasn't too it wasn't pawnee okay it wasn't pawnee (laughs) but of course at that age like it is like very it was i will say very white yeah i think people were exposed to all kinds of people and yeah i think everyone in high school just feels different you know and desperate to not feel different so I feel like maybe everyone was feeling that and I didn't necessarily feel like an outsider, you know. Um, but like at home, you and your sister, I mean, you're, you're French speakers as well. You were but you were speaking French at home or? Um, no, only when my when we would get in trouble, my mom would okay. yell at us in French. And then so we we know the, that French. Um, but just English, really. Okay. I was speaking French. Like, I think my first language was French. And then it was all forgotten over the years. So, you know, when you were growing up, did you feel very connected to Belgium or Israel or? Um, not really. I felt connected to my grandparents, but we only we would go there once a year, you know, so. And it to was where? All, to Belgium or Israel? Both. Both. Pretty much once a year. And but it was so, and so, for example, the, the, the Jewish part of your heritage, were you brought up, you know, in a Jewish family, going to synagogue and all of that? No, um, my dad's an atheist. Oh, and okay. so <laughs> I think, and my mom, you know, has always been a little confused in that department. <laughs> you know, Jewish by... I guess blood and yeah. culture, maybe. Yeah. Um, but religion was definitely not 
we were bad Jews. We were bad Jews. And um, <laughs> all the best Jews are bad Jews. <laughs> um, you know, we had a Christmas tree. And yeah, religion was kind of always a little bit of a not a great thing in our house, you know, mm. um, probably because my dad came from a country where religion caused wars. Yeah. So, you know, I understand. Um, and that was kind of passed along to me. You know, I always think, like, I'll always kind of judge people. I'm like, oh, you're only that because of your parents. And then I look at myself and I'm like, oh, wait, Galia, you're only that because of your parents too, you know, like really questioning organized religion and all that stuff. But And, and they were both classical musicians. So was it almost inevitable that you were going to get into music? I don't know. It wasn't inevitable, no. But I think, you know, if it's, if you're raised yep. with music constantly and like, I always think that, Music is my dad's religion. Mm. And maybe that's like what I feel as well. It's like, that is my religion as well. Like, I do it every day. I worship yeah. every day. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. And and in actual fact, your parents weren't just classic musicians. They were professors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both, both of, of them? them are still. Okay. Yeah. Well, that must have been some pressure to learn an instrument. <laughs> yes, that yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of fights caused over practicing violin and piano. But you were like the musical theater kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that was the original goal or? That was, um, yeah, it kind of was the original goal. And I feel kind of far away from that right now. But like, yeah, I was really into musical theater. I didn't have that skill, though. I mean, like mm. in certain ways, I might have had certain skills, but I just yep. never really, truly thrived as you need to. But <laughs> But you did for a while, you know, go along the classical music path. I did. I kind of did. But I wasn't a classical musician. My dad really hates it when I say this, especially like in public, is that I know I only got into the music school because of my parents. <laughs> my, pa <laughs> my parents. He's always like, Kalia, stop saying this. It's not true. You're amazing. And I'm like, Dad, we all know. We all know that like I truly do not have a classical voice. And as you said, I'm not I'm not classy. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> well, so my good. experience of classical musicians is lots of them aren't classy. They're That's true. Yeah, yeah. They're quite the nutty bunch sometimes. I've never been to Indiana, by the way. Uh, I've been to a lot of American, but I have been to the Mitten, Michigan. Oh. Which is, of course, next Oh, door. the Mitten. And, yeah, and, and actually my original drag partner in crime from many, many years ago is now, you know, head of, head of the English department at um, University of Michigan. Oh, my gosh. So, I, I, you know, I've been roughly... Around your area in you have. college that's town. That's very yeah. close. That's yeah. right. Like you can get there in four hours, I'd say. Well, now, do you know who has not been to university? Britney Spears. <laughs> and Britney is... This was a one beautiful of, segue. Yeah, Britney, I know. I'm well known. <laughs> I'm well known in the industry for my segues. Um, they're so smooth. You can you can hardly see them. I mean, people really don't see my segues. Um, you, you're kind of obsessed with Britney. I am. Um, Which is actually very common in my life. You know, I'm a little too old to have, you know, that she wasn't my obsession. Mine was Michael Jackson. But I have a lot of friends of a homosexual nature who are obsessed with Britney and, you know, feel this incredible connection and care for her. And I feel like you're, you're, you're also that, are you? Yeah. Britney, like everyone, a lot of people think that I say that ironically, like... Mm. For me, I have two things. If it makes me cry or if it makes me dance and fills me with like joy, you know, and those are the two types of music that I love. That's my taste. Well, it's funny because the other night 
I watched on the telly the documentary about Billie Eilish. Oh. And she, um, now she's only 19 or something she's a child, now. Yeah. yeah. And so her absolute teen obsession was Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber. Like beyond normal. Like her mother almost took her to a therapist over it at one stage. Um, <laughs> and, and in the documentary, you know, there's this really beautiful little scene where she's she's playing at Coachella for the first time and she plays her gig in that. But she's in the crowd in the little VIP roped off section watching some other gig and Justin appears into the same little thing. Oh and God. they kind of are just looking at and she is so overwhelmed even though mm. she's already by this stage Billie Eilish the, yeah. you know, the big star she is so overwhelmed she can't move she can't oh. walk and he just kind of stands you know opposite her looking at her and you know smiling and whatever and then he eventually comes over and just hugs her and she balls and balls and balls oh. and she's like you know already a big star and and then that made me think of you um, <laughs> and, and Brittany because I when I actually tweeted about the Billy Irish thing and immediately someone goes, oh, that makes me respect her a little less because well, aim higher, Justin Bieber. And I, I was like, that. she's 19 years old and he was her you know, obsession. And, and that is exactly what you just described. People think you're ironic about Britney, yeah, but you really not do at have Britney. All. Yeah, and that makes me mad, to be honest. Music is music and yeah. the people that move you and change your life like has nothing to do with I don't know, your level of anything, you know? Yeah. And, and also, you don't get to be Justin Bieber or Britney Spears without having talent. You just don't. Or work, like yeah. work, you know? I mean, these people work their ass off. and I assume you were all over the Free Britney documentary. I was, yeah. yeah. That was like the one. I, I really don't like this whole... Um, <sighs> You know, this thing now with Zoom, watching movies with friends, but that was the one. That was the one that I was like, I need I need the support of my friends. We all needed each other. The lollipops were there. You know, <laughs> we just like all press played exactly the same time. And yeah, that was that was heart wrenching. That was yes. heart wrenching. I mean, I, I mean, I have very warm feelings about Britney, but that documentary made me want to go find her and give her a hug. And um, so are you are you um like hating Britney's dad and yeah I don't like Britney's dad um <laughs> for me like I feel sad it's just an indication how women are treated in the industry and when you see kind of the documentary shows her reactions to things and when you see the context of them like why she is holding a golf club up to someone a paparazzi's car when you're watching the documentary you think I get it yeah. I would. I get that. And the documentary is called "Framing Britney." Oh yeah, for "Framing Britney." Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not the one that can say whether she should have mm. conservatorship or not conservatorship. For me, it's like she doesn't want her dad, and it shouldn't be her dad. <laughs> yeah, like my experience, you and my friends who are you know Britney files, is that they just really care about her and they want her to be happy, and it doesn't really matter what she does or from now on in. They just always want Britney to be happy. It's actually yeah. very sweet. The documentary made me feel guilty as well because it's like we, I feel like we all did this. Yeah. And it's not fair, you know, it wasn't fair. That's how I felt. Anyway, um, you have a couple of Britney covers. I do. Yes. Um, I, I try to cover her every gig that I can. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any song and not just one song, but many. And know. including this sort of... Um, dark emotional and version of hit me baby one more time oh baby baby i should which was used in a marvel tv show that yeah 
So what was the na- what was the show? Um, the show was called Cloak and Dagger. Show me how you want. It was a huge deal for me because mostly because it was the Britney thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh my god, my Britney Spears dreams are coming true. Like it's actually on TV. You know, it kind of all culminated into this, but um, my I was in Dublin and my mom, we didn't get that channel, whatever. Mm. So my mom and her husband had to FaceTime the TV <laughs> while I sat there and we just had to wait for the song to come on. So we're just all like chilling there on a show that we don't know. When I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Give me a sign. I felt like maybe I was, you know, being a bit my age when I didn't recognize it. But now that you didn't recognize it, yeah. like I'm totally down <laughs> it. Um, you have a song out at the moment. I do, yeah. Lion's Den. Mm-hmm. And um, in some ways, like if you go onto YouTube to start looking at your stuff or whatever, you know, the ones that are come up first are your sort of, you know, very fun political kind of songs. But then, of course, you're also then, you know, as you're going down through the playlist and that, you, every now and then you're hit with something just so, like, achingly beautiful, if, if that doesn't embarrass you to say. And this is on those lines. Um, and it's about a breakup. Mm-hmm. Is it about a real one? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a about real a one. real, real one. <laughs> and, um, and is the fella Irish or... or? Irish, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it was definitely a messy breakup. It was a hard one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't fun, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's not going <laughs> Straight guys don't listen to my podcast, so feel free. <laughs> okay, well, his name is, I, like, I used to, um, I like, Dublin is so small, obviously. Yes. So I, I, re- I used to, uh, some of the bigger gigs that I had, like doing the support gigs I had, I'd... <laughs> Oh, God. Um, I would always be like, like after the breakup, I'd be like, he owns a pub in town. So I'd always tell, I wouldn't say, actually, I would say his name. I'd say his full name at these huge gigs and be like, go in there and just tell him he's made the mistake of his lifetime. So we'd have like 2,000 people, like, you know, probably going there. And no, but um, I just like to clarify that the pub in town is not mine. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, it is about a very real Irish breakup, which okay. is. A tough. It's a toughie. Well, I well, I think we have the weather for breakups, um, because one of the mm. things, um, and you know, I love America and all of that. Um, like every place that has its problems, one of them that it has, in my opinion, is Americans want everybody to be deliriously happy all the time. Oh, interesting. Like there's this sort of pressure on on you in America to to be cheerful and cheery, whatever. And I think um, Irish weather and and our sort of you know, or a thing about having a drink and getting sloppy, you know, and mm. whatever. It's a very comfortable space to be pissed off. Yeah, I love that. And maybe that's why I live here. Well, it, because it's miserable. And but, you want to be miserable. Well, it's no. like I like to kind of rel, it's kind of, it feels romantic to walk through the streets and like feel like rain on your face yeah. and be like, Man, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, we're going to hear that song, and the lovely Kean Boylan is going to come in and join you um, on that. Mm-hmm. 
I've been thinking quite a lot about the talk we had The one we didn't finish and we kissed instead Don't know what we're doing, we're just doing it And I know That there ain't no way around the way it's gonna end No one needs to read a poem to know this don't make sense Plus your hands, they say enough when I'm held in them And I know That I shouldn't take another step Cause this love is a lion's This is worth a broken heart Well, all in all, it's all too much to figure out And when we're not together, I just drown in doubt But then you bring me back to life when we're mouth to mouth And I know Something is the least bit safe But as you're wrapped around me like a superhero cape well, Suddenly the dangers, they don't feel so grave And I know That I shouldn't take another step This is worth a broken heart
This is worth a broken heart This is worth a broken heart That was gorgeous. <laughs> Beautiful. You. I'm happily married, but I feel like breaking up with my fella just so I can experience that song. <laughs> it's raw, intended nature. Um, yes, it'll be worth it. You know, yeah. do it. Do it. Well, here's the thing. We were married. When did I get married? Um, John, I'm talking to John in the corner. Um, I think we were married like less than a year when lockdown happened. And now we spent longer locked into a room together than oh. we were married, you know, not locked into a room together. So it could have been a feckin' disaster. Yeah, if you made um, it through this, you can make it through anything. Oh, yeah, no, I've been amazed at how well we've, you know, handled it. I mean, obviously, I've gotten, you know, twice the size. Um, and he <laughs> oh is God. a fitness fanatic and all that. So he looks still incredible, but feck it. <laughs> there, You're married, it's fine. I know, and there, there are chocolate Kimberleys <laughs> that need to be eaten. Um, how's your lockdown being? My lockdown? Yeah, well, well, some of it you went home to Bloomington, Indiana, Yeah, right? I did. Um, the lockdown's been tough. <laughs> this last one feels never-ending. Um, yeah. It's been ups and down. It's a roller coaster, like, for everyone. You know, yeah. it's going back and forth between, you know, guilt that I am fine. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I still have a day job and still okay and then you know then the roller coaster of like feeling really isolated (laughs) and alone and worried and Mm. it's like everyone it's it's well you know you you sort of just said there in passing that you still have a day job and even that's kind of fun and interesting you you, you (laughs) were yeah uh, you were were you the dog walker for for this couple in new york who were then setting up a hedge fund so Mm -hmm. they are they they got money, honey, and they liked you so much. They asked you to be like you know an assistant, yes, which you did. And now, even though you're now living on the other side of the world, yep. you're able to do that job. Are you just like answering the odd email for them or something? Oh no, it's a real job. I it's a but you're very, doing, so very you're real. doing it here while you're in Dublin, yep. and they're still in New York running their hedge fund. Well, the thing is, I feel so. Um, Lucky that I only work five hours a day for them. Well, during lockdown, obviously, I felt really grateful. But yeah. I've always kind of felt very grateful for being able to work remotely yeah. um, because of music, you know, because yeah. it's really allowed like the flexibility of going to do gigs and yeah. writing and stuff like that. Um But yeah, I'm a personal assistant. Yeah. So I, it's just like for their their family stuff. Okay. And yeah, it's because I was their dog walker when I first moved to New York. And then. Yeah. And it's a great sort of safety net fallback thing for it an is. artist. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You're, I mean, you landed on your feet there, Chicken. Yeah, I did. And I've always felt really grateful to have a job, even though sometimes, you know, it's work that I don't mm. necessarily. My, my yeah. heart's not heart, necessary. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, well, now, so, so uh, speaking of jobs and, and hats and all that. You also, um, like everybody else at the moment, you have a podcast too. Yeah, it's a, a little bit on pause. I'm calling it like, you know, between seasons. <laughs> I do have a podcast. It's called- a lovely podcast. Oh. Yeah, no, I've been listening to it. Um, yeah, it's really lovely. So tell us about it first, the sort of the premise of it. Sure. So it's called Hustle Heartbreaks, and it's about kind of 
I was starting to feel on social media like everyone's showing their, you know, their last gig and this and that and including myself, you know what I mean? The tyranny of positivity, you see, everyone yes, feels they have to ex- present the positive. Exactly. You know. And um, there's so much about chasing your dreams and being an artist and being yeah. creative that people don't understand, like don't realize. And yeah. that's like a lot of it is really embarrassing and yeah. a lot of it's torture yeah. and a lot of it is heartbreaking stuff, you know? And like, I've always been really bad at like networking or, you know what I mean? Like, mm. and there's so many embarrassing stories and those are the ones that I want to share, you know, on Instagram. Like, I yeah. don't want to say like, oh, amazing gig at this and that. And here's me like in full makeup, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I want to share, and I think that's what connects people is like, oh, I had the worst gig. No one laughed at my jokes. You know, I my voice cracked. I embarrassed myself here. Like, I couldn't find whatever. And um, so I started a podcast basically wanting to hear everyone else's horror stories yeah. and share my own horror stories. Because that's what's so very charming about it. Uh, you tell these sort of embarrassing, silly, you know, stories that... Uh, you know, that show you as a person who fucks up and <laughs> or has fuck ups happen too. Yeah. It's very warm and charming, Aww. I have to say. And even the things that I, I felt like now I, I in the short time that I've known you, I've discovered you're a worrier. And when I say short time, I mean like hour. <laughs> <laughs> I've discovered that you're a worrier. And yes. even that sort of comes across in the in the um podcast too, because during lockdown you went back to Bloomington for a while to sort of keep an eye on your parents. And uh you were like apologizing for the sound quality and that kind of stuff sometimes because there might be a dog barking or your, your nephew's <laughs> running around. Like back living, yeah. But that is so charming. Um, you're really just in our ear talking to us. It's lovely. Thank you. That's so nice. My coping mechanism is to share those stories of mine. You know, it makes me feel better to like say those things out loud or, you yeah. know. So it's actually very selfish. It's really for me, you know, to um, come forward with those <laughs> embarrassing things well you're going to know the song first and it is kind of connected to one of these things it is um so well tell us the story okay so the story is this so i when i was living in new york and i was actually working at the actual hedge fund and then funding hedges (laughs) funding hedges whatever those do and um I was at the front desk of this hedge fund. I was always dressed really inappropriately. Like I like I always looked like a retired dance instructor. Like I just had no This like, is very broad city vibes <laughs> I'm getting from this. <laughs> um it wasn't as cool. Like it was just um I just was ill fitting there, you know, in all respects. And at the time I was working on my uh record Ula Baby. And I was working with Elvis Costello's musicians, like on some of the songs. And it was like night and day. So I'd be day at the hedge fund and then I'd go to the studio. And the hedge fund, I don't know anything. I don't know anybody. Like, I don't understand money. It was a world I didn't know. And then I would go to the studio and then be working with like these killer musicians and like my heart would explode every night. So I was super excited about it. So one day I was sitting at the front desk in my retired (laughs) dance instructor clothes and I got an email from Elvis Costello. I'm allowed to curse, right? Well, you can curse. Go for it. It's okay. No, it's fine. But um, Fucking curse, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a gas bitch. I can curse. Um, I always say like I never know how to describe the feeling except 
like I fucking died of happiness. I was just like, I fucking died. I was just like, oh my God. And the email was so nice. And it was like, I heard you've been working with my guys. And um, what did the email say? What yeah, was Elvis so, Costello so, emailing you about? Yeah. So he was just like, my my guys introduced me to your music. You're wonderful. Um, I'd love to like meet for a coffee and um, maybe talk about support support acts and he had mentioned like Shane McGowan in there and I was just like oh my god like my dreams came true and it was honestly honestly one of the best most glorious moments of my entire life until I found out that it wasn't Elvis Costello it was my really mean friend Bob but and is it true that you in the song you you say that you basically quit your job you told your mother and father oh yeah I made a thousand phone calls like i got the email i called everyone that i loved and um i remember so like the hedge fund was like all modern and all the walls were glass at that point so i had like called everyone and then when i found out that it was bob and not elvis costello how did you find out it was bob and not well i called bob i called bob and i was like you will never believe this because he was a good friend of mine at the (laughs) time at the time and um I called him and he was really weird when I told him because I think maybe he didn't realize like how excited I would be. And then he knew like, oh, this is not good. And he was like the 20th person I had called. (laughs) And I remember I kind of found out through his silence. I just realized like, okay, this is, this is weird. And then I remember... Everything is a little bit of a blur that day, but I had to go in the front conference room because I was crying so hard. And I went in the front conference room and it was all glass doors and I had to make all my phone calls back. I had to like call my mom back, my dad, my sister, my mentor, and like my best friend, Kira. Like In a fishbowl office. In a fishbowl office, weeping, not doing my job. I was like, people are coming in. I don't give a shit. It's like my dreams have been shattered. So... um So, yeah, that was a horrible day. And it really took me a very long time to get over, actually. And I wrote the song for me, purely. It's like, that is how I grieve. You know, I just write about it. I thought no one, no one on this earth is going to give a shit about this song. Because it's so, like, no, this has never happened to anyone else, maybe, ever, ever. So why would that resonate with any audience member? And... Honestly, it is one of the songs that, for some reason, even though it's so personal, people really resonate with it. No one's friend has pranked them pretending to be Elvis Costello, but people do understand what it's like to feel incredible disappointment or sadness. So even though it's literally about Elvis Costello and that incident, I've found it a complete learning experience that people... Mm -hmm would get emotional during a song or laugh, you know, and or like, I don't know. So I have learned over and over and over again that the personal is universal. Yes. Because everybody experiences the same feelings. The situations may not be the same, but everybody understands the feelings. And everybody has been embarrassed by that dick of a friend who, you know, made, made you foolish. Love. Everybody has done something that they are so sort of embarrassed about afterwards, like making the phone calls to your friends and family and then having to call them back. <laughs> Everyone has been in a situation where they understand that feeling. And so 
over and over and over again, I've learned the personal is universal. Yeah, that's beautifully said. The personal is universal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so two questions before we let you do this song. One is, is Bob still your friend? No. <laughs> just <laughs> flat no. Well, because I couldn't decide, was Bob just like an evil genius and it maybe went a little too hard or something? Or was he a dick? We were kind of friends a little bit after that, but um, we kind of drifted apart. And he's, yeah, he's probably just a dick. I don't know if he's still. <laughs> Bob, she's coming to get you. Um, and secondly, did Elvis Costello ever hear about it? I have heard some people say that they've like passed it to him. And um, I think he has, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. You know, I still haven't gotten the email from him. I still wait for it every day. A real email from Elvis Costello. But no, I haven't gotten that. But I have well, if heard anybody that- out there knows Elvis Costello, yes. send this song on to him. Make sure he listens and then get him to um, email or... Uh- now I'm getting... I feel like scared. Like I have... Now I'm going to get any email and it's going to be... <laughs> yeah, like you're never going to fall email. for that trick yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, I know you hate it. Just delete. Don't even read any Elvis Costello emails. Um, so let's hear the song I'm after sure, all yeah. of that. I was minding my own business as a daydreaming assistant Lazily filling out an expense report When suddenly my email it showed a name that made my heart explode It said from Elvis Costello And Lord I cried God is now on my side Stars are all aligned I never guessed that it wasn't Elvis's address Just your cruel plan To make me play your fool again It wasn't even April yet The entire office in applause And pouring wine in coffee mugs High fives and goodbye hugs I quit my job my sister, dad, and mom long distance on the speakerphone and yelling, Elvis Costello will change it all. And we cried, God is now on our side. Stars are all aligned. I never guessed that it wasn't Elvis's address. Just your cruel plan. Make me play your fool again It wasn't even April yet What a weird nightmare While I was 25 to 12 When I got that poison letter I could punch the clock right now For those few seconds of pleasure That would all dissolve When someone took the words away couldn't call it unexpected You're a boy with the problem No need watching the detectives When I know you're the imposter You think you're God's comic And it's a dirty, rotten shame Cause what's so funny about tears? Tears and more tears I cried, God is now on my side 
stars are all aligned I never guessed that it was Elvis's address Just your cruel plan to make me play a fool again It wasn't even April yet It wasn't even April yet Yay! Fuck you, Bob! <laughs> I can't believe you decided to come to Ireland after an Irish person was the one who, who did that to you. <laughs> oh, still hurts. <laughs> um, so, Golly, I, I mentioned or alluded to in the introduction um, that you tell taxi drivers that you came to Dublin because of Glenn Hansard, but that's not exactly true. So tell us, what is the truth? Because you've been here... 10 years now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, almost 10 years. Since 2012. Which is crazy, yeah. For some reason, taxi drivers always ask me if a man brought me here. <laughs> um, like, if I'm asked why I'm here, they're always like, was it love? Was it a man? And it wasn't at all. Um, but uh, the reason that occasionally I joke that it was Glenn Hansard was because I was kind of deciding whether I was going to move here or not. And... Um, I went to a Glenn Hansard concert, The Beacon, in New York City. And I was with my boyfriend at the time. And um, the gig just, like, blew my heart open. I was just, I, I there was something about it that felt so um, Irish, I guess. Like, there was something that felt really magical. And it kind of, the, the gig came at exactly the right time of when I needed to make that decision. And... I just remember at the end of that when we were like, there was a huge applause, obviously. And I remember turning to um, my boyfriend at the time and saying, I have to go. Like, I have to move to Dublin. So I joke now that it was, you know, yes, yeah. it was a man. Yeah. It was going to answer. But yeah. How did your boyfriend at the time feel about the fact that you were moving to I Dublin? I mean, not great. Like, <laughs> um, I look back at that time and I think how... Where, why, like, I'd act, also, I left him, I think it was only going to be temporary. So I thought maybe six months I needed to be here. I don't even know why. Like, it's... What age are you at the time? I was 25. 25. So that's 24. a good time to make a big decision and, yeah, you know, move on. But, 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 but wait a second. So so <laughs> how, what brought you to the point that you were at a gig already considering whether or not you were going to move to Dublin? How did Dublin even factor into a nice Jewish Belgian girl from Indiana's plans? Yeah, I don't know. Like, okay, so I, when my family, I have family in London mm -hmm. and I went, was visiting them with my family and I went out with my cousin one night and I met my first Irish person. I was probably like 20 or something. And um, I loved him. I like, we became pen pals. There was no kiss or anything but we became pen pals i thought he was so funny and we would like write each other letters and emails and stuff and i wrote an entire record about him and that was ula baby that was one of my first ones and um did you kiss him later yeah when i came uh -huh. to dublin yeah <laughs> i came to dublin for like two days so are you still friends i mean we're not not friends you're good Like, he's, like, married with child. Like, ah, okay, I, yeah. Okay. Um, so I wrote this record, and um, and that's the first time I came to Dublin. Mm. But it was, like, for two days, and I was nervous the whole time, you know? And then um, because of that record, I was like, that's the whole, the Shane McGowan thing, where 
Yes, tell, con- tell us that story. So it was a, the album was a concept album about falling in love with, you know, a pen pal, essentially, an Irish pen pal. And so one day I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could have Shane McGowan do the liner notes for it? Just, it would just wrap it up so perfectly. And um, I just went through an enormous painstaking process to make that happen for myself. <laughs> and that was a lot of hustle, heartbreaks and embarrassing mm. things. And Because um, you get pestering his manager, is that right? Yeah, I had to go through his manager. Yeah. Yeah, Joey, yeah. who I'm grateful for every day because he changed my life making it happen. But I always say like when I started having to call Joey and I would always call from my boss's office because they had like an internet, a free international line. So every day at work, I'd be calling Ireland and every day that I'd call Joey would answer and I'd be like, Hi, Joey. It's Galia, the liner notes girl every single day, like to remind him. And he'd be like, Oh, fuck off. <laughs> but then he'd be like, call me tomorrow. I'm busy. And I'd, and he scared me a little bit, you know, because, you know, as an American, it's like it, yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's yeah. like, aren't you supposed to be cheerful and like nice? <laughs> he'd be like, fuck off. I'm watching a movie. Call me tomorrow. So then, sorry for my accent. It's terrible. Um, so every day I would call him, say the same thing. Hi, it's Golly, the liner notes girl. I sent him the stuff, like a demo. And one day I got a call back and he was like, well, we listened to your stuff and Shane doesn't think it's shit. That's like what he said. (laughs) That's what he said. And so then I came, I toured Ireland with one of my very best friends, an incredible blues singer, Kirsten Thien. We toured Ireland and that's when I met with Shane. Um, That was my second time in Dublin. And that's like where I kind of really got to feel the magic of Ireland and and then you ended up so you were here on that tour and you did meet Shane and he did write the yep, notes and yep. you recorded with them and I mean a lot came out of it. So much came out of it and it's just amazing how life works where it's like one night at some like gross club in London changed my life forever to where you know I'm not in Ireland because of him but like that weird path of life that just leads you kind of. Mm. Well, because then the serendipity sort of continues through that line then because then Shane was going to be on Jules Holland and he, uh, you know, organized for you to sort of come along as well. And then Shane couldn't do Jules Holland, but you ended up doing it anyway. And then you've ended up touring with Jules Holland. I mean, I mean, the whole music industry is that, you know, is full of those stories, but that's a good one. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just so, I'm so grateful every day just for those things that you don't think are, I don't know. I just... One thing just led to another and... Hang on. Jules Holland knows Elvis Costello. I know. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For someone who had the gumption to be calling Shane McGowan's manager every bloody day from a, you know, a hedge fund office in New York, yeah. you don't have the gumption to, to, to no. ask okay. Jules to, to pass that on to... No, I don't have gumption. Like... <laughs> For some reason, I had gumption about that very one specific situation. And since then, I've just, that was all the gumption I've got. (laughs) I I hope Bob didn't take your confidence away. (laughs) Well, I'm sort of interested in your take on Ireland, because like all people from small countries, we love to hear what other people think think of us. Um, But I read a thing where where what you liked about 
the music scene here was you described it as being you know in new york it's a bit more of a rat race and you say to somebody i'm an aspiring musician they go oh you're an aspiring whatever because everyone's an aspiring whatever whereas here if you tell somebody you're a singer songwriter they just go oh i love live music like why do you like it here I mean, you've been here 10 years and you're yeah. applying for Irish citizenship. Yeah. So you seem to be throwing your lot in here. And your mother is Belgian. So it's not like you even need the Irish passport yeah. to be able to say. So what is it about Ireland that you like so much? Um, That's a great question. I'm very good at great questions. <laughs> you are. Um, I think I've had to think a lot about that this past year because it's kind of questioning like what home is at this yeah. point. It's not Indiana, even though my parents are there. Is it New York City? Mm. My sister's there, and I used to live there. And here, and your hedge fund is there. <laughs> they miss you very much. Um, so I've had to kind of think, well, what is it? Why am I still here, especially after my breakup? Mm. Um, you know, I think everyone kind of assumed that after that happened, I would be going back to the States. But I think there's something here, and I noticed this when I toured here with Kirsten, is that you guys are a lot more laid back in certain ways. Mm. Um, And it's a lot more spontaneous and kind of playing by ear. Yeah. And... That's a product of both, I think, sort of national character, Mm. the weather, because you have to do things that moment, Mm. you know, the weather might change. And also just the size, because in Dublin, to meet somebody for coffee takes one quick phone call. Right. And you can both be there in 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, and you can wander through town and bump into people. Whereas in places like, you know, I think of London as even in some ways worse than New York for this. It is. But New York has it too. There'll be, there needs to be 20 phone calls over two weeks. <laughs> and then there's an endless discussion about which coffee shop, because there are a million coffee shops. And people, when given that much choice, then become so picky oh. about everything. No, I don't want to go to that one because of this, that, whatever. And then both people might have to get on a train for an hour or something, you know, just to do the meetup. And so, because when I was young, I went to Tokyo because I wanted to get out of here. I thought mm. I hated it. I was never going to live here. And I went to the biggest city in the world. At the time, it was either Tokyo or Mexico. You know, yeah. I'm going to go to the biggest thing <laughs> because I just wanted to do all that. But as I've, you know, as I've gotten older, I've come much more to appreciate that laid back quality of, of a smaller place right i like the fact that i can be just going to the shop and bump into somebody i know you like that yeah i do as i've gotten older i've gotten to like that because i'm too lazy to keep up great relationships but if you bump into people you know relationships are continued by accident almost oh interesting i hate bumping into people Uh, you do why i don't know god you're really in a bad place then yeah i know i am i know i am yeah and you live in stony batter where every feckin hipster lives all you do is bump into each other i know that's why i stay home (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah but but, 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 so like uh, and you're single now Mm -hmm. there's nothing you know keeping you there so there is something that is keeping you here yeah, I love it here. I really, I love the people. The sense of humor is, I feel, one of the best things for mm. me. Um, and the the attitude. And coming from New York, moving here from New York, especially like the music scene, like I was showing up to gigs here like hours before everyone else. Like everything kind of is more spontaneous here. And that was actually difficult for me to handle a little bit because especially with music, I like to be a lot more in control of 
logistics and everything. Mm-hmm. And and then I started realizing like this is where the magic is happening in terms of the spontaneous gig. And when so when I toured here, all of the gigs came you know, we were kind of panicking because nothing, not everything on our schedule was lined up perfectly and we didn't really know what would happen and that was stressful. But then when we got here, everything kind of oddly was falling mm. into place and magical things were falling into place. You know, even the thing with, you know, Shane and being in the studio with him, that was all last minute. And for mm. me, that was extremely stressful because I couldn't plan around it. <laughs> but it's because there's, It's almost like Ireland has this, it leaves space for these magical, spontaneous things. Well, I think one of our blessings and curses Mm -hmm. is Athlete Grant. Yes, I agree. (laughs) You know, it's a blessing a lot of the times, that attitude, because it does leave cracks, you know, for spontaneousness and bits of magic and, you know, things to happen in those little gaps. But... It can also be an absolute curse because things can be messy and, you know, less than perfect and all of that. (laughs) So, I mean, it depends on, you know, what side of the bed you got up in that day, you know, whether you're into it or not. Because I lived in Japan for a good number of years. And um, one of the things I became very keenly aware of that, A, it takes a number of years for you to really, really get a sense of a place. Mm. And and part of the journey of getting to that place is you go through periods where you think everything about this place is perfect. You think it's so much better than where you come from. You, you only see the positives. And then sometimes you'll go through periods where everything gets on your tits and you, know, you start to see only the negatives. Totally. And, and it takes a while for you to come to an equilibrium because the, the kind of mundane truth is every place in the world is kind of the same in the sense that, you know, we all have those same experiences, the same of the personal being universal. Everybody has the same good and bad experiences, no matter where they are in the world. And every part of the world has its good points and its bad points. I mean, so it takes a long time to really get a sense of, is this the right place for you or not? That's so true. But 10 years in, clearly, Clearly, it feels right. It feels right. Yeah, it does. And I think through lockdown, I've kind of felt that more and more, oddly enough. Well, I think everybody's feeling everything more intensely during mm. lockdown. Because in the first six, I think we, it, was, it was the novelty. Yeah. There was a gung-ho wartime spirit. Yeah. Um, people were being reductive. But the longer this thing drags on, I, I'm just an, an emotional roller coaster. Me too. Yeah. And the, it's so much time to like reflect <laughs> it's too much I hate to reflect. yeah it's too much reflection <laughs> right now but yeah <laughs> um well so what's your sort of plan i mean you're a you're a hedge fund um a person love, you love, love to plan you like things to be organized you worry when they aren't so what's the plan for the future now i say or? this but i'm a, a very disorganized person for me like i other than yeah, like I'm terribly organized and I really shouldn't be a personal assistant. But, you know, that's how the cookie crumbled. But do you have sort of a plan for the immediate future for uh, whether no. that's career or? No. <laughs> Nothing. I have no plan. Um, right now it's kind of, I think that we're all kind of in survival mode yeah. and just trying not to panic mm. um, about this past year and the coming. It's like, let's just come out of here a healthy and alive and with our loved ones 
and trying to like process it through music really is yeah. what I tend to do. But I don't have. But you have uh, you have a song at the moment. Like, I'm what are you? Do you have plans for more releases or? Yeah, I I think I I want to do a release like maybe an EP or an album by the end of the year, but. I don't know. Yeah, I do. Well, it's so hard to, <laughs> I agree, to make any of those plans when you can't do the live performing. Because mm. so much comes from the live performing. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to be creative. And, and as, as Brezzy told me, don't beat yourself up about it if you don't feel like being creative at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, Galia Arad. I love saying that. It's been lovely to meet you. Um, and I think we are going to be besties. I think um, so too. Um, and we have dogs in common as well. So, oh, um, we do? Yes. Yes, I have a 13-year-old Jacker and you'll love her. Do you need a walker? Uh, no, <laughs> she's 13. She doesn't like walking anymore. <laughs> anyway, it's been lovely to meet you. Thank um, you so much for having me. And I can't wait me. to go sometime in the future, get to see you in a raucous live drunk venue. Um, me too. Preferably with your lollipops. I love those oh, boys. Oh, yes. Um, so thank you very much thank for Thank you so much. This day. was so much fun. I, thank, you thank you for having me. Thank you to the lovely Kian Boylan for providing accompaniment on the, yes. your first idea. Yeah. Thank you, so Ian. thanks, Galia. Thank you so much.